Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Acts chapter, remain standing if you can, out of respect for God's word. Acts chapter 15 verses 16 through 17, very short verse, same verse, same context as last week, but I'm going to be going into a little bit different of a direction, uh, and I'll give a brief overview of what last week was about. And it says this in Acts chapter 15, verses 16 through 17. This is God talking. This is the apostle James actually speaking it, the the writer is actually Luke. Everybody say Luke. Luke was the physician. Luke is the, the author of the book of Acts, the entire book of Acts. This, is, this account was written by the hand of Luke, but this is James saying this word under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and it's a prophetic declaration of what God is going to do in the last days. Is everybody following me? A little bit teachy for a moment. And it says this, After this, I will return... And I will rebuild the tabernacle of David. Who's talking? Who's talking? This is God talking through James by the hand of Luke. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David. We'll talk about what the tabernacle looked like in just a moment. Which has fallen down. And I will rebuild its ruins. And I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, says the Lord who does all these things. You may have your seats. For those of you joining online, Facebook Live, we want to thank you. We want to welcome you for joining in. We pray that this message blesses you, impacts you, and transforms your life for Jesus' sake. Amen? Amen. Who was not here last week. Can I just get a wave of hands? I want to know who was not here. Okay, wonderful. I'm, for those of you who were here, uh, if you would allow me to be a little bit laborious and go over uh, what we kind of talked about. We talked about the tabernacle of David. Now, I am one of those ministers who likes you to talk back for two reasons. I learned that by default because I came out of a gospel movement. Second reason is, is some of you try to fall asleep on me. This keeps you awake. Everybody say the tabernacle of David. In the Old Testament, you mostly hear of the tabernacle of Moses that was constructed in the wilderness. Does everybody remember that? And so if you weren't here, by the way, I do encourage you to go back and listen to this. It will make this particular message make that much more uh, sense uh, to you. And so we talked about the tabernacle of Moses that was constructed and I just want to give you basically a chronological order of what happened in the Old Testament, what led up to the book of Acts, because the book of Acts is the New Testament. Does everybody understand that? So, so this is what I'm going to, this chronological order that I'm going to give is BC, meaning before Christ. And first of all, the Israelites were in captivity in Egypt. Does everybody remember that? They were there for many, many years building bricks for Pharaoh. And finally, God sends a prophet by the name of Moses, delivers the people of Israel. God speaks to Moses and says, hey, listen, I want you to do me a favor. He doesn't use this language, 
but this is kind of what he's saying. If, I guess if Jesus were here today, he would put a little sling on it, I think. He would say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to construct a mobile tent. Now, this mobile tent was called a few different words. The tent of meeting, Moses' tabernacle, and there were other names that this, this mobile tent would be called. What they would do is they would carry this thing on their backs like a tent, and they would construct this thing every time that they stopped so they would have a church building. Does that make sense to everybody? So they were in the wilderness for 40 years, and this is why they called it the tabernacle. And once a year, a priest would go into this mobile church that was made out of sheets, that was made out of some gold and some fine uh, constructs and materials, but for the most part, made out of sheets. And eventually, the 40 years go by, they enter into the promised land, and they no longer use this mobile tent because they are dwelling in the promised land. Does that make sense? So they come out of Egypt, they put this ark, something called the Ark of the Covenant, which I had a replica of it last week. If you weren't here, you kind of missed my mini replica of it. And so they come out of Egypt. They set up this new tent or tent of meeting in the promised land, right? And eventually they lose a battle because they're disobedient, okay? And the Ark of the Covenant gets stolen in a battle. Does everybody know the story? So it's gone for many, many years. And then the second king comes around. We know that Saul was the first king ever to live. The second king was who? Who was it? King David, one of the greatest kings that ever lived. King David gets this great idea before he even sets up his kingship. Now, I love this about David, and we can learn from this very practically. The first thing that he does is he doesn't build himself his own house because that's mainly what kings would do. They would build their own house. They would build their own estate, but he doesn't do that. What's the first thing that he does? He goes and gets the most important element back from the enemy. He goes and gets that thing called the Ark of the Covenant. Well, why was that so important? Because that's where the very glory, they called it the Shekinah glory, that's where the glory of God dwelt. You could feel the very presence of God over this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. Do we have one of those, the old picture from last week? If we do, I'd like you to put it up on the screen. The Ark of the Covenant consisted of three different elements on the inside of it. Number one, the main thing was it had the Ten Commandments that were broken. Remember when Moses got mad at the children of Israel because of sin, living in disobedience? So the broken Ten Commandments were inside of the Ark of the Covenant. Number two, there was a bowl with something called manna in there. Remember how the children of Israel survived with food? God gave them manna every day, so there was manna inside there that was still preserved. Thirdly, there was Aaron's rod that had budded. It was a broken stick. It looked like a staff, but it budded, okay? Those three elements were inside, and every time the priest would go in, the presence of God was so strong that if he had sin on his life, what he would, was attached to him was pomegranate seeds, like bells. They would call them bells. In other words, when he would walk in, you would hear those pomegranates hitting each other. It looked like... Um, you know, like those little headliner things that, you know, my Spanish friend, where are my Mexican friends at? You know, they had, you know, at the top headliner of your, of your van, you know, all those little things kind of hanging down, those little, you know what I'm talking about? They were on the pants or the linen of the priest. And so they would tie a string to this priest. So if he were to go in the Holy of Holies, there were three compartments. There was the outer court, the inner court. Everybody say the outer court, the inner court. And then there was the Holy of Holies. Everybody was allowed, everybody was allowed on the outer court and the inner court. But nobody was allowed on the inner court except for the priest. So what they would do to make sure, because they couldn't go in and get him if he died. So they would tie a string to him. And if they stopped hearing the pomegranates moving, they would pull the priest out. 
See, that's, that's the fear of the Lord you got to have. So in church these days, you have preachers in the pulpit that shouldn't be there. They're not worried about, you know, oh, don't, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good now. They would have pomegranate seeds, and if those pomegranate seeds stopped clicking together, they would know that that man had sin on his life, and he would pull them out, and he, 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 was, he had passed away. And so, so there's the Ark of the Covenant, what it looked like in the Old Testament, even into the Promised Land. But, but before David even sets up his kingdom, he does something magnificent, and I love this. He doesn't set up the, the Tent of Tabernacle just yet. Eventually, he would set up something called uh, the Tent of David or, or the Tabernacle of David. David goes and gets the most important thing that was in that tabernacle. And let me tell you this. There's the most important thing in our lives is the presence of God. Did, did you hear what I said? David, David had the revelation, I cannot build my kingdom without the presence of God. Isn't it funny how we try to build relationships? I'm going to just park right there for a second and get a little preachy. Can I do that? Isn't it funny how we try to engage in relationships? Isn't it funny how we try to build businesses? And it's a shame to say this. We even try to build churches without the presence of God. Because we, we've found out other accruements that we can replace with it and make it look like God is there. Like fog machines. I like fog machines. I like lights. I've got some cool blue ones that I asked them to project blue lights up there. But, but, we, but we cannot replace the presence of God with biscuits and with sweets and with coffee. There's something that David understood that, that I have to, if my kingdom is going to be sustainable, if, if, if it's going to last, if it's going to last and extend beyond 40 years, which it did, I have to first and foremost not build my own house, but, but make sure that the presence of God would dwell over, that, over the tabernacle. Amen? And so David goes back, and we know what he built it based on, the presence, first and foremost. But, but look how David, because he didn't want Solomon, he wanted Solomon to build his temple. Now, this is different than the tabernacle. Everybody say it's different. He didn't want David to build the main house of the Lord or the temple because David had blood on his hands. He had sin in his life. So he said, look, you're not going to do it, but your son's going to build it. And eventually Solomon would build the temple. But 500 years later, they would destroy that temple and burn it to the ground. The Babylonians would. And they would never see the Ark of the Covenant ever again. And it still hasn't been recovered to this day. So in Jesus' day, we know because the, the Gospels record this, that there still was a temple in Jerusalem because Jesus at 12 years old went to the temple. Remember when he went astray from his mom? He was rebellious like, uh, like I was when I was little. I know we don't think, Jesus didn't have any sin, but he did uh, rebel a little bit. He left his uh, parents. Remember when he said, woman, what thou have to do with me? Come on, you know your Bible. He said, what do you have to do with me? I'm, I must be about my father's business. He was a little bit disrespectful, but he was God. He can do that. And so he was found in the temple. The only, thing, the only difference was is that the Ark of the Covenant wasn't there. They were going through all of the religious rhetoric without the presence. Y'all are looking at me like y'all don't know what I'm alluding to. Isn't it funny how all these years, how we've built monuments, we've built movements, we've built denominations, all the while the presence of the Lord is not behind the veil? Can I just talk about that just for a moment? And I, and I truly believe, and I mentioned this last week, isn't it funny how the very first thing when Jesus died, he ripped the what from top to bottom? What was behind the veil? The glory, the Ark of the Covenant. You know why I believe that he allowed that to happen? He wanted to show all the religious that you guys have been doing this by yourself and without my presence and without my power. 
And I believe that's what God is doing even in the midst of this pandemic. And I'm not going to talk about politics today. I'm not going to talk about government because my goal from the pulpit is to preach the word of God and preach the kingdom. I don't blend. Somebody look at somebody and say, we're about the kingdom here. And so he ripped the veil from top to bottom, exposing the fact that the, the, the Ark of the Covenant was no longer there. I had the opportunity when I went to the Holy Land experience, which is no longer, it's been purchased now, but I got to see the life-sized replica of this and watch them do the sacrifices and go through their uh, sacraments. It was an amazing, it was an amazing sight to see. But now we, we fast forward. So that happened, you know, thousands of years ago that this tent was constructed, but this is This is why I parked at this scripture because we're here at the book of Acts now. There was Moses' tabernacle. There was uh, David's tabernacle. Then we come to Solomon's temple. And and now we're all the way 700 years later plus in the book of Acts. And here you have James saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that after this, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David. You know, first of all, last week I said to myself, why wouldn't he restore like the temple of Solomon? Solomon's temple was awesome. It was constructed with billions of dollars, hundreds of thousands of pounds of gold. Why would he construct the tent of David or David's tabernacle? And I think there were some key ingredients that I want to identify on why God had such a soft heart towards David and gave him the reason that he would want to reconstruct David's tabernacle. Is everybody following me? I want to show you what some of these ingredients look like because David had some ingredients in his tabernacle that that Moses did not and that even Solomon did not. Are you ready for this? Well, let's first and foremost look at what David, what kind of heart David had. What was David? Besides being a warrior, besides being a shepherd boy, he would play the harp and sing to God because he was a He was a worshiper. This is why God states of David in the Bible that I have finally found a man after my very own heart. How many remember him saying that? You know he was a worshiper because when he took the Ark of the Covenant back into Israel to restore it to Jerusalem in its glory, David did what? He danced in front of the Ark. He worshiped in front of the Ark so much so that his wife called him a crazy man. He danced right out of his garments. Now, he was, he was, his undergarments were exposed. And you know what David says? He loved the Lord so much. He says, you think I'm crazy? But really, I'm going to get more undignified than this. Do you remember that? And so what David's first assignment to do and did not, was not reflected in Moses' tabernacle was this main ingredient. And there are two I want to give you. But the main ingredient, what we talked about last week, is David assigned what was called Levites. Don't worry. I'm going to make this applicable to your personal lives in just a minute. I'm like my biker friends. You don't see it now, but I've got a knife right in my boot, and I'm going to cut a few people open spiritually in just a second. Okay? So I will make it apply. Just, just bear with me. Just listen. Look at somebody and say, listen, this is going to work for you. This is going to apply to you. I've got my, you know, spiritual, you know, you won't even know it. So he assigned what was called Levites. Everybody say Levites. What was a Levite? They were worshipers. They were instrumentalists. They were, they were musicians like you see up here on Sunday morning. This, this model that you see on Sunday morning came from the construct that came from David's temple. 
They were Levites. In Moses' tabernacle, they would only go through religious motions. They would slay the lamb, sprinkle the blood, wash their hands, and their sins would be forgiven that year. But David's tabernacle was different. David's tabernacle was a tabernacle of worship. And this is what I believe God is restoring in these last days. I believe that we're about to go through the greatest reformation that the church has ever seen. And it's not going to look like your typical Sunday morning. It's going to be filled with worshipers. It's going to be filled with the glory and power of God. It's going to do what any sermon cannot do. Come on. What no minister can't do, what no prayer meeting can do, God is going to dwell, I believe, once again among his people and restore the tabernacle that has fallen down. Somebody say amen. So it was mainly, the main ingredient was worship. Because worship does a few things. And last week we talked about, we talked about it. How, how worship thwarts the powers of darkness. We wonder why we got the enemy at such at work in our lives. But if we're very honest, the only time that we worship is for the 30 minutes that we're at. Maybe I should just sit down. If we're really honest that, and listen, you know, there, there are plenty of churches that will tell you what you want to hear, but this is one of those churches that will tell us what we need to hear. And the reality is, is the reason why the enemy is at work in many of our lives is because we're not wor- living worship-filled lives. Because what does, what does worship do? It creates an atmosphere that's conducive for the Holy Spirit to move to thwart the powers of darkness in your life. Why do we want to thwart the powers of darkness? So that his kingdom can come and his will can be done on earth and not just on earth, but in in my life, in my wife's life, in my children's life, come on, in my friend's life, in my workplace life, come on, y'all ain't preaching. On every, in every area, in every sphere of influence. And there's one thing you can't fake, is presence. You can fake everything else. You can Google sermons and preach. Come on, you can learn Christian lingo. You know when to say hallelujah. You know when to leave when I give the benediction. But one thing you cannot fake is presence. You cannot fake the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You know when he's in the room. A lot of people always say to me, oh, God's omnipresent, and he is. He's omnipresent, meaning everywhere at one time. Does everybody agree with that? But let me tell you something. When Jesus steps in the room, when the Holy Spirit is in the room, you'll know the difference. There's a big difference of him being omnipresent versus moving and dwelling among his people. Why did he want to visit David? And this is the thing that I think Jesus loved about David. God loved about David is because David didn't want a visitation. I don't want a visitation. You want a visitation, Paula? What do we want? We don't want a visitation. And that's what the priests would do, James, is they they would slay the lamb. The presence of God would come once a year. The glory of God would show up in a pillar of fire once a year. Why would it show up once a year? Because they would sacrifice and they would worship once a year. They wanted a visitation. But I believe God is raising up a company of people who don't want to don't want him to just stop by and knock on their door and give him a good bless me feel good message he wants a company of people whose hearts come on are set on worshiping him he wants a place where he can inhabit the praises of his people and this is the ingredient that God is restoring in these last days he said after this I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David because it has fallen down if you look over the church corporately and I say that respectfully If you look at it long enough with spiritual eyes and you begin to calibrate it while the word of God, and I'm not knocking other ministers. I love, I have so many godly friends that I would give my right arm to who lead churches. But I can tell you this, it's not hard to look around. 
Oh, Jesus, help me. It's not hard to look around and not see that we're just simply been going through the religious motions without the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, that's too spiritual for you. Without the presence and without the power of God, without the presence of the Holy Spirit. You know you can go to church and not sense and feel the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? We can go through the religious motions. The Pharisees and Sadducees proved it. Because when Jesus showed up on the scene in the New Testament, they wanted religion more than him. Because he didn't come in the package that they wanted him to come in. When his presence, did you get it? They wanted his presence, but didn't want his presence. They wanted what was in his hand. Religion. They were bound by religion and thirsty for religion more than his presence. Oh, help me, Jesus. But there's a second ingredient I want to talk about today. And then I think I'm going to conclude this particular stream that we're in here. That I found out, I felt like, Lord, I'm done with this. We preached it, I thought last week was very, I thought it was revelatory of what God is doing. Because there's this deep sense. Can I just talk to you from the heart, just for a moment? Without being preachy, just, just from the heart. Is that for the past three years and a few months, my, my deepest heart was to really put emphasis on worshiping Jesus. Just Jesus. Yeah. Nothing else. Yeah. No smoke, no lights, no, no 20-minute offerings. Now, y'all better give. I got scarred for like two years. They wouldn't let me preach, so I just preached through the offering for 20 minutes. We don't, we don't do that here, and, it, and, it's, and that's very intentional because the only part of the service that Jesus gets something out of it is worship. And, and Jesus is coming back for that type of model. He's coming back for a spotless and a pure bride who's not coming here for a feel-good message. Don't get me wrong. I love encouraging messages. I'm on YouTube, you know, even throughout the week. We need encouraging messages. We need to grow. We need to be planted and read the Word of God. I'm, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is there's something to be said about a company of people who worship because something happens in the atmosphere of worship that cannot happen in just your average service. Something happens to the human heart when God's presence shows up. Did you know how bound I was when I was, I don't like telling my testimony very much, but I grew up bound, slept on the a pallet for 20 years, was on the streets, angry, rageful, drugs, selling drugs for five years. And it wasn't a Bible study that I got set free in. And God knows we should have Bible studies and have house churches for growth and for discipleship. But I didn't change there, Matthew, did I? But Matthew would always ask me, why do you go to church so much? But he knew every Friday night, Every midweek on, on Wednesday and every Sunday, I was in the house of the Lord. Why? Because I knew something even that early on, and nobody had to teach me that something happens in the presence of God that cannot happen anywhere else. And slowly but surely, lust began to get off of my life. Pride began to lose its hold on my life. Come on, all these uh, ungodly thoughts began to break off of my life. Why? Because I was in, in the house of worship where God dwelt among his people. And this is what God is doing in this last hour. There's this other really key ingredient I want to share with you, though. It wasn't just worship. He, we know that David, he instituted Levites. And guess what? Those Levites, they would go in there and sing. And they would have somebody who sits by, just like you guys are sitting by. But they would have pens. And we would call these scribes. Everybody say scribes. 
Why is that important? Because you read the book of Psalms. But did you know they, they, they were written down, but the scribes were writing what the Levites or the worship team was singing. Hence the name Psalms gives the connotation of the word songs. They were singing songs. Very, very powerful. This is very revelatory. Does everybody understand that? So they were singing Psalms and the scribes would sit by and they would write. But there was one other key ingredient that David's tabernacle was largely dependent upon not just worship, but prayer. Oh, I know I ain't going to get a whole lot of amens on that one. But David's tabernacle was built upon prayer. And so I want to continue in this message entitled Rebuilding the Ruins. So that was my framework right there. Everybody say Rebuilding the Ruins. I want to fast forward to the very last book of the Bible. I just want to read you something because it, it gives, this is how I know, because in the last days, this is, this is what God is after. This is Revelation chapter five. So this is not just Old Testament, not just New Testament, but it's, it is in the New Testament, just the last book of the Bible in the New Testament. Revelation chapter five, verse eight. I don't believe it's up on the screen, but you can write it down for your reference. And it says this, now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a what? Harp. The Bible says a harp. Each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. This is where we get the terminology, if you know about prayer movements that are happening all over the world. This is where we get the terminology called harp and bowl. Does everybody understand? Who's not heard of harp and bowl before? Just, I just want to see your hands. Harp and Bowl is churches that are being planted all around the world right now, and they're largely, uh, their ingredients are lots of prayer and lots of worship during, uh, while they're playing worship. Does that make sense? So somebody gets up on the mic and they're praying. Rick was a part of that. There's some others. I believe our worship leader, Angelique, was a part of a movement uh, that was uh, a house of prayer. So it's largely dependent upon that model, the model of David, the tabernacle of David, prayer and worship. But what is the whole goal of worship and prayer. What is the whole goal? And here's why I'm teaching on this this morning. You want to know why? Because I believe, you, you know, I was talking about building material uh, last week and how I work in the building industry and you, it takes about 20 years to figure it out that in the 80s and the 90s, it, it took about 20 or 25 years to figure out that there are some building materials used that took a little while for the defects to begin to pop up. Does that make sense? If, if you've had a house that's built in the early 2000s, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Roof leaks, drywall problems, plumbing that's ran above the rafters. Come on, I'm using a contractor terminology now. Be because there are certain constructs, even though it was cheaper, its defects eventually would pop up. I believe there are defects within Christianity right now that are beginning to pop up, and it's showing its ugly face during COVID-19. Oh, Hallelujah. Don't get mad because Jesus is separating the sheep from the goats and the tares from the wheat. God is exposing some poor building material. He's exposing some sheep, excuse me, wolves in sheep's clothing. I had to reverse that. He's exposing some weaknesses in the leadership in the body of Christ. He's exposing where our true faith is. Is it in the government or is it in God's kingdom? Is it in the ministers or is it in Jesus? Come on, y'all ain't talking to me this morning. God is allowing these weaknesses to show up, not to break the church, but to bring a reformation. 
not to break us, but because he wants to restore the walls that have fallen down. He said, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will rebuild its ruins. As you look at the body of Christ right now, as weak as it may seem, God is about to do some renovations. God is about to raise up some real holy rollers like in the days of old. God's about to raise up some Smith Wigglesworths. Come on. God's about to raise up some gospel preachers who are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who are not ashamed to call out healings, who are not ashamed to cast out devils and lay hands on the sick and speak with new tongues. Come on, y'all Pentecostals ain't saying nothing to me. I believe God is bringing us through a reformation. And I know this because I work in the building industry. And people ask me, you know, anyway, there's lots of different things that we're beginning to use to reform what was done the wrong way. And can I tell you one other thing before I park right there on prayer being one of those elements? And I know we don't want to shout about it. It's funny, isn't it funny how January 1st comes and we shout about getting in shape? Until February 1st. I like chicken wings too. But something is required. It's easy to shout about what God is going to do. It's easy to clap. It's easy to show up one Wednesday every couple of months at a prayer meeting. Come on, I'm just trying to make it practical for you. It's easy to say, I want to wear a size 32. At least that's my goal. Some of them ladies are like, that's too big. You know, you want to be, what is, what is a good goal, honey? I don't know, a two, zero. I don't know. I like, I like you just the way that you are. You just stay just like that. But we, we have these little goals. We set these little goals. But when it comes time to getting on our knees and really praying, that breakthrough through. Yeah. And this is what I believe God wants to do. He wants to get us out of this modern day Christianity, this lie that it's just going to happen. If God will it, it shall be. Well, God does will it. But guess how he gets his will done? Through the prayers of the saints through the prayer of the saints, through you partnering with the Holy Spirit so that his kingdom can come and his will can be done on earth as it is in Is it God's will to be done on earth? Or heaven will, is, it, is it God's desire that heaven come down to earth? That's what the word says. But if he's going to do it, he doesn't. Even the Trinity is dependent upon one another. Even the Trinity partners with one another. God relied on Jesus to bring redemption. Come on, am I, am I being too theological this morning? And Jesus relies on the Holy Spirit to keep the work going. So, 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 so God, God, if God's going to do it, guess who he's going to use? If God's going to bring peace to your family, guess whose prayers he's going to use? If God's going to get you that new job, guess whose prayer he's going to use? If God's going to get you set free from demonic activity, guess who he's going to use? Look at somebody and say, he's going to use you. Look at somebody else and say, he's going to use you. If you want breakthrough, there's nobody that can pray that prayer better than you can. If you're going to shake the city as a minister of the gospel, guess what? You better start doing getting on your knees, praying until the Holy Spirit empowers you because God, you're not going to just sit by. When I first started this church, you're going to do it all, Lord. But then I started figuring out that the Lord would speak to me. And then when I would, when I would, when I would uh, partner with the Holy Spirit and do that thing, he would do what I couldn't do, but I had to do something. It's called walking by faith. Peter would not have walked on water if he didn't step out. We have to step out on water if we want to see God, his miracle working power at work in our lives. 
So why are we, why is God after this? Why is God after this, this setting up and rebuilding the ruins? Am I taking too long? He's setting up and rebuilding the ruins for one main reason. He's restoring worship and he's restoring prayer because it opens the heavens. It causes the heavens to open. Does everybody understand that? Let, let me make it real practical. When you drive down OBT, or when you drive down certain regions or certain parts of Florida or the United States, my biker friends would understand this. You guys bike all over the nation, right? So, so you go to certain regions, and you can tell there's like a certain spirit over that region. Oh, y'all, y'all, do, do you get what I'm saying? There's certain things. You can go to a region and say, man, this place is full of lust, or man, this place is full of poverty. Man, this place is this or that. And it's because... Sin can rule and reign where his presence is not. And it's because the heavens are closed. And indeed it is. But, but so where worship and prayer is not, the enemy can set up shop. And so where we retreat, the God is calling the church of Jesus Christ to go establish his kingdom. Come on, let me, let me say it like this and be a little spiritual about it. To set up another tabernacle of David in that region because God wants all the kingdoms of, their world, of the world to be set up under his rule and his reign. Does everybody understand that? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. That means OBT. That means Las Vegas. Come on, that means the darkest continent of the world on earth as it is in heaven. And you may never thought it, but your worship draws the Lord's presence. Your prayers draws the Lord's presence so that he can make his activities known and establish his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And so worship opens the heavens so that prayers can penetrate. Now that's really deep. I want you to think on that just for a moment, okay, with me? Worship opens an atmosphere. Do you know when we worship here? Are you staying with me? When you worship and you sense the presence of the Lord, then is the time to pray because the heavens are open. I've been reading this book and it's in the Old Testament. I'll I'll reference it if you'd like me to. You see me after service. But there's a reference in the Old Testament and it talks about the heavens being brass. This is what I mean by brass. You know, when you get up in the morning, you're like, thank you, Lord, for this day. Bless me. Bless my family. Protect me. And, you know, Please help that knuckleheaded boss's mouth to stay closed. And then you go to work, and that's exactly what he does. He's a knucklehead, and you got all these problems going on. That's not intercession. Those are requests. There is parts in the Bible. There are different depths of prayer. There's prayer meeting our own requests. Lord, bless me, my family. Thank you for blessing us with clothes on our back. There's thanksgiving. Different levels of prayer. And then there's intercession. Your prayers, I have to be careful how I say this theologically, but there is something to be said about when, when the presence of the Lord is in the room and then you make your request known or you intercede, they're much more effective because your prayers are going somewhere. Is everybody hearing what I'm saying? The, the prayers are, are they're, they're hitting ground. They're not hitting brassy ceilings. This is why it's important to live a worship-filled life if you're going to see the activity of God in your life. Because you're setting an atmosphere so that when you do pray, things get done. How many want to see things get done in their life? How many are tired of praying prayers that seemingly hit the ceiling? How many are tired of seeing their unsaved loved ones stay bound? How many are tired of seeing your your daughters and your sons bound by drugs and alcohol? How many are tired of being bound by sin and sinful patterns? 
Well, when you set an atmosphere, when you set up a tabernacle of David that's coupled with worship and prayer, then you'll begin to see the kingdom of God established here on earth as it is in heaven. I thought about this. I'm going to try to speed this up just a tad bit. Last week on Wednesday, this was last Wednesday, so the day before Thanksgiving, I was working. I usually work right up to the holidays and uh, pray for me. Even Christmas Eve, just pray for me. Look at my wife looking at me. I was at this. It was like a castle, I would say. It was, it was right under $5 million home. It was, they're asking, you know, asking me to help with some, with some things. And as I went through the house, very beautiful house, a house that you can get lost in. It even had those castle peaks. The roof is made of slate and all of that, like you would see. Not like uh, you would see in Europe, but one of those, but just a smaller version. And... Um, I went in, when I went inside, I was surprised to see that there were so many things that were just left untreated and undone. And so uh, this gentleman, I don't know what it is about me, but people like start confessing to me and stuff. <laughs> I knew him for five minutes and he just confessing. I'm like, what, what, what is it? He just telling me about all of his problems. And you can tell he, yeah, obviously very wealthy, but, but distraught. You know, you know, his hair is graying and he's telling me all of his problems and um, telling me about a recent divorce that he'd went through and just just a mess. Well, well, the house, the house was a mess. And here's here's what here's what came to my mind immediately. This phrase never creates something that does not have the favor of God over it to sustain it. Did you hear what I said? Never creates something. Never, you know what Catherine Coleman said? She said, if you're not called to ministry, if you don't have a word from God and God doesn't speak directly to you, don't do it. If God hasn't called you to start a company, it's just a good idea. Let me just tell you after 20 years of doing it, don't do it. If you don't know you're supposed to marry that specific person, all the married couples say, don't do it. If you know you're not supposed to date him, or her, come on, if you don't have a word or some kind of direction, don't do it. I don't need practice. You don't need practice. Trust me. You need to just know it's the will of God. And this scripture came to mind, unless the Lord, by the way, it's Psalms 127 verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Don't build something without God's provision, God's sustainable presence over it. And listen, you can find yourself in a mess this morning. I'm going to just talk from the heart just for a moment. You can find yourself in a mess no matter what it is this morning. And you can create, listen, it's not that we create God's presence. That's probably a wrong word. We can't create something that's already created. We can invite and draw his presence by a worship-filled life in a praying lifestyle. Did you hear what I said? If you're finding yourself in a mess, it doesn't matter what it is. You can invite the presence of the Lord and draw him into that, and God's favor can, and he'll do one of two things. He'll say this, either this, get rid of it, or watch what I'm about to do now that you've invited me in this situation. Did you hear what I said? He'll either have you get rid of it, which trust me, you don't want it if he doesn't want it for you. When he's trying to get you to get rid of something, don't get mad. My first 20 years as a believer, I fought the Lord, arm wrestled. I thought I could win like Jacob. 
because I didn't think the Lord knew better. I thought he knew who I needed to marry. I mean, excuse me, I thought I, need, I, I knew who I needed to marry. I thought I knew what was best for my career. And the Lord either will do two things, get rid of it, because I want to give you peace, I want to restore peace, or he'll ask you to clean the slate because he wants to reestablish something fresh and new, or he'll begin to bless and show you that he can get more done while you rest in him than you can in your own abilities and your own talent. Because that's God. He shows himself strong in our weakness. Amen? Number two, stay with me. Prayer brings direction. This is why David established a house of prayer and worship. Say prayer and worship. Did you know that many of the Psalms were created in David's tabernacles? Many of them. Some were written by Moses, we know, and some others, Korah and different writers. But, but largely, those Psalms were constructed and written down in David's tabernacle. And, and, and why do I say, how does that relate to prayer brings direction? Now, I want you to follow me what I'm about to, what I'm about to say because the Holy Spirit showed me this uh, this morning or it was yesterday, I believe. Uh, because if I counted, I counted how many prophecies were found in the book of Psalms. Does everybody know what prophecies are? Who does not know what, a, what prophecies are? Okay, everybody knows what prophecies are. Of course, you wouldn't come to this church if you didn't know. There were 92 prophecies that I, that I counted. Why do I say that prayer brings direction? Because when David was praying and worshiping, most prophecies that are in the Bible are found in the book of Psalms that were actually written in David's tent or David's tent of meeting or David's tabernacle. Y'all are looking at me like, I, you know, I just gave you a, a plate of lemons. What, 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 what am I trying to say is that worship and prayer brings clarity for your future. How can I validate that? I want you to just listen up right here. I'm going to give you some prophecies. Are you ready? Let me be a little teachy this morning. Don't worry, I'm getting ready to close. See you looking at that clock. The prophecy was given that Christ would be rejected by the Gentiles, and that's found in Psalms chapter 2, verse 1, and it was fulfilled in Acts chapter 4, verse 25. Jesus' political, or excuse me, the political religious leaders would conspire against Christ found in Psalms 2, verse 2. I'm talking about 700 years before Jesus came to earth. Christ would be the king of the Jews, found in Psalms 2, verse 6. I'm talking about prophecy being fulfilled because of worship and because of prayer. And if you lack direction in your life, I'm not just saying go to another church meeting. What I am saying is create a worship-filled environment and prayer and intercession, and God will give you clarity. He'll give you direction in what it is that you need direction with. Christ would be the son of God. Guess where that's found? In Psalms chapter 2. And Christ would be raised from the dead and be crowned king. Psalms chapter 2. All of these prophecies found in one chapter as they're worshiping and as they're praying. Watch what it says in Psalms. Uh, most of these are Psalms 2. Excuse me. So many prophecies. 92, 92 prophecies would, would come to pass as a result of them praying and of them worshiping. Listen to this. Christ's blood would, em, blood would emit, or body would emit water and blood found in Psalms chapter 22 and would be fulfilled in John chapter 19 in the New Testament, 700 years later. Christ would be crucified, Psalms 22. Christ would thirst while he was dying, Psalms 22. 
All these different psalms, Jesus Christ's garments would be uh, parted among them and they would, be, uh, they would cast lots for his garments. That's also found in the book of Psalms. And Christ would be accused by false witnesses in the Bible, also found in the book of Psalms. All I'm trying to say is, as many people who are directionless, and let me just talk to you teenagers for just a moment, or for any of you who are feeling directionless, like you don't know what career path to take, like you don't know exactly what's gonna happen at the end of the world, you don't have to do much, just read your Bible. This is what's going to happen. The book of Revelation. Just read your Bible or create. And if it's something that you need to know right now, here and now, all you have to do is create a worship filled environment. Come on, build a tabernacle of David, build your house like the tabernacle of David. I'm not talking about paint your walls a funny kind of way and construct some sheets, but I am talking about place some worship in your house. Give God his time. Pray, seek his holy face until direction comes. I have never seen this in my generation. Such confusion, gender confusion, confusion about, come on, I'm gonna talk about it. Yes, I am. Gender confusion, not just gender confusion. Some of you are confused and you're married and you ain't got nothing to do with homosexuality, but you got no direction in your marriage. You don't know how, you don't have the direction on how to treat one another, no clarity. Some of you need direction about your next career step. Some of you need to know, have direction because you want to do ministry, but don't know if God wants you to let go of your business. You need clarity. All I'm saying is create a worship-filled environment coupled with prayer and intercession, and God will begin to restore and rebuild what is lost in the body of Christ. And some of us wonder why we don't have any direction. You know why we don't have direction? Because we're out here trying to seek for it. When direction can only be found. I want you to hear me really well when I say this. I, it's taken me 20 years to figure this out, and I do not know it all by a long shot. I do not know everything for sure. God knows. But we look for it out here. But true direction is found at his feet. I'm finding out how revelation comes from resting in him. Always in him. If you read the Apostle, uh, the Apostle Paul's epistles, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, his, his, his phrases are opened up, the, 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 the writings are opened up by this phraseology used in Christ, being at his feet. We're taught to go through the hustle and bustle, get yours and go through the grind and build your thing. Well, how's that working? I don't do that to speak down to you, but I do it so the light bulb comes on to, to remind you that we have to do something different in the church and in our personal lives, in your marriage, in your singleness, in your career, come on, at your job, whatever it might be, get at his feet. Jesus, even Jesus Christ, stand to your feet, can you? Even Jesus Christ, being the son of God, needed and realized his need for direction related to prayer. Are you ready for this? Him being the son of God. I want to just tell you the trickery of the devil. I'm going to just tell on him. He's not going to like me for this one, but I love it. Here's the trickery of the devil. You get on a high horse spiritually for a moment. You get a breakthrough. God speaks to you somehow. And then you let go of the rope because you think you can afford to let go just a little. Isn't that right? Does, do you understand what I'm saying? You have this high moment in the Lord. You get a prayer answered, and you feel like you can ease up. 
The devil loves that kind of person because he's an opportunist. Oh, you got prayer and you got, you got this breakthrough. You, can, you, don't have to, you don't have to do your devotional this morning. God's sovereign. You don't have to go to church this Sunday. The presence of the Lord is in your house. This is the trickery. This is the trickery. And little by little, little, just a little, one sheep at a time. You don't fall immediately into sin. Just a little, just a little, but a little over time. We drift afar off. But this is how much Jesus valued prayer. Do you remember this? The Lord highlighted this to me. Do you remember before, before great moments, Jesus would spend, spend long hours in prayer before making decisions. I've adopted this model. My, my, my clients, I work full-time for those of you who don't know. Full-time, 40 hours a week, the whole thing, more probably. But, and I do this full-time. It's His grace. It's just His grace. Sometimes I cry about it, but then I, you know, and then he gives me his, a little bit more grace. Rick knows. He's like, yep, I get a call every week. No. You can laugh in the house of the Lord. But I want you to listen to this. In his critical hour, my customers will say things like this. Your employees are wonderful. They don't know it, but I prayed all night for my employees. Watch Jesus in Luke chapter 6, honey. Watch this because I was struggling with some employees and she said, well, why don't you pray about it? I said, I should have thought of that. <laughs> now it came to pass, Luke chapter 6, verse 12 through 13. It says, now it came to pass in those days when he went out to the mountain to pray. Talking about Jesus. Say Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. And he continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he then called his disciples. And from them, he chose 12, who we'd also call apostles. My friend Joel, he laughed at me because I bought this machine for our company last December. It was a pretty expensive machine. It was a few thousand dollars. And before we unboxed it, all the employees, we, we gathered around it and we prayed and we dedicated it to the Lord. But all my stuff lasts. He prayed and got direction in valleys of decision. If you need your finances to grow, don't look at statistics. Don't find the, I'm not saying don't do your due diligence. I'm not saying that. But, but, but pray first. Seek his face first. I've got some people in the room who've, who've, who've made some harmful decisions I've made my own harmful decisions by not inquiring of the Lord. Because you only want what he will bless and sustain. And prayer brings that direction. You can have talent and no direction. You can have money to pay your bills and no direction. I've got clients, and I'm not gloating this morning, God. Am I gloating? I hope not. I have clients who call me and they're, million, they're millionaires and they'll ask me questions. Do you think I should move? How should I invest? I say, I don't, I, you know, I act smart. I don't want them to know. But somehow the advice works for them and they keep calling. 
because I pray about it. Because when you pray, direction comes. You can be extremely smart and still that doesn't guarantee direction. And you know what I really truly believe? After just being funny this morning, but in reality, in all seriousness, God wants to restore something that the church has lost. It's lost. Authenticity, it's, much of it has lost its authenticity, its power. Not because God doesn't love his bride. He loves his bride. He's coming back for a spotless one. I oftentimes wonder how he's going to get that stain out of her dress. That was like a laughing moment. I just thought about that. I thought that was pretty witty. Thirdly, and I truly do close, prayer brings power. I want, I want everybody, I want to look in each and every one of your eyes, and I want to say this, and I mean this so sincerely, that I lived my whole, most of the 20 years, at least 12 of those 20, coming to church, being at every prayer meeting, in church four days a week, confessing, pleading the blood, calling down fire from heaven, laying hands on the sick, and they were recovering. And I was still bound in certain areas. But I'm telling you unequivocally that you can stand before the Lord. Listen, Jesus is not a supplement to keep you from just a sin pattern. He can, the blood of Jesus eradicates all forms of sin from the gossip to the murderer. It doesn't matter. And I can tell you standing here finally, oh, God gives me these funny little images. I used to love movies. There's this Al Pacino movie. God, forgive me for saying this. He said this, I'm free indeed. Free indeed. Thank God Almighty. I'm free indeed. The blood of Jesus has no prejudice. If he can set me free, he can set you free. If I can get free from lust, you can get free from lust. If I can get free from all those other addictions, you name it, I've been bound by it, God can set you free. But do you know why I believe God is coming to restore the tabernacle of David? It's because environment matters. We've made some of the dumbest mistakes dumbest mistakes in some bad environments. Come on. You guys are looking at me like St. Paul. In environments, environments are everything. So if ungodly environments can inspire you to do wrong, Holy Ghost-filled environments can inspire you to do right. Get yourself in a holy environment. I'm going to leave you with a quote, and I'm going to leave you with a scripture. I'm going to let us worship for just a moment. I know I went way over longer than I probably should have, but, I, but I, I feel this is worth sharing with you. It's very personal, very personal. I don't know if I've ever shared this publicly. But I want to leave you with this quote. It's by Smith Wigglesworth, one of my favorites. He said, I don't often spend more than a half hour 
praying at one time. But I never go more than one half hour without praying. Isn't that neat? He said, I don't often spend more than a half hour at a time praying, but I don't oftentimes go a half hour without praying. And I thought about the scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. It's the answer, prayer. Your freedom is hinged on your prayer life. Not just, listen, not just the blood of Jesus. Oh, don't throw stones at me because the blood of Jesus works. But if it worked in every single situation, it's not God's blood that doesn't work. It's because it's not being appropriated. Some of our houses are dirty as sin, but it's not because it just, you know, it's not because chemicals and cleaners don't exist. The blood of Jesus works if you will apply it. If you will direct it towards this specific area of your life, keep, and if you don't see results, keep pleading the blood. If you don't see breakthrough, keep pleading the blood. If that lust issue continues to haunt you down, keep pleading the blood. If your finances are still not looking right, come on, keep pleading the blood. Keep pleading the blood. Keep pleading the blood. Keep praying. Keep seeking God. Keep fasting. Build the tabernacle of David in your life. Jesus. I pray there's a mighty repentance in this place this morning and there should be a mighty repentance in the body of Christ. We have been prayerless and we've been slothful and we've been apathetic and we're wondering why God's not moving. And we we talk about Africa, why is God healing over there and not here? Can I tell you, it's nothing to do with God. It's everything to do with us. I had some blueprints on my... Just shut this thing if I don't shut this. I'm going to keep on going. I was walking out of a place called CFAN. I had blueprints sitting on my desk for months. I didn't want to do it. C-F-A-N. What's CFAN? Now I know what CFAN is. How many know what CFAN is? I kept discarding it, discarding it. I didn't care how big the job was. I didn't want to do this commercial project. I said, Lord, I've been doing that for over a decade. I don't want nothing to do with it. And I went to this meeting where Reinhard Bonnke was, and I wanted his book called Living a Life of Fire. And I went there, and he used the word CFAN as his organization. My eyes got about quarter size. I said, all these months, his building plans have been sitting on my desk. Who does not know what CFAN is? Does not know. It's it's an organization called Christ for All Nations. Christ for All Nations is the largest, still is, at least in in Africa and in America, the largest evangelistic organization with documented. I'm not talking about uh, general numbers here. Reinhard was a German and he was very strategic. I've sat with him. Yes, he was a whiz, very calculated. Over 75, maybe 80 million documented decisions for Jesus Christ in the past couple decades. Documented. So I'm looking at these building plans. I'm rejecting it. When I find out it's his, I said, I'll do it. I'll do it for free. You know, I didn't do it for free, but in my mind, I would have. God sees my heart. I did it cheap. Might as well have been for free. Edit that. So listen, as I'm leaving, I'm leaving the front of the building. I'm going to release you in a second. As, I, as I'm leaving the front of the building, it's 
my first, very first conversation with him. I was so nervous. My hands were sweating. My hands still do sweat. I was so nervous. He was standing there with his assistant. And I stood there and I, I thought to myself, my knees were like knocking. And I said, what, what is it about you? And he said something and he didn't know I used to raise, help my brother raise dogs, pedigree dogs, um, specific kinds. And we sold them as kids. You know, we'd have 30 at a time. I've never shared this publicly. And he, and he said, he said, it's a dying pedigree. Well, I didn't laugh because I got what he said. Is when I look out over the body of Christ, I knew exactly what he meant, Rick. Holiness, purity, a praying lifestyle, stuff that built the church within the body of Christ is a dying pedigree. And it should not be so. And I believe God is going to restore all that. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.